Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. A-teamers, remember that we've got ourselves on Twitter. We'll put up a poll for you um, around the topic we currently have. The Twitter handle is at SFM Radio, at Patricia N. Nduli, and use the hashtag SFMLNC. I'd like to welcome our A-team guest, our A-team legal expert, Mervyn Vermeulen, who's a practicing attorney and a certified family mediator at Mervyn Attorneys. Mervyn, thank you so very much for joining us. Good evening. Good evening, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. Today we're talking very sensitive issue. We're talking gender-based violence and the law. Firstly, I, I think we need to be very sensitive when it comes to this because it's not um, a story that or an issue that we should brush over purely because in South Africa it has become very rife. Certainly, I agree with you 100%, Patricia. Unfortunately, um, we are... Um, we have the, the dubious uh, distinction in South Africa of being a, a very, very badly affected country in terms of gender-based violence. Um, and obviously, it is something that needs to be dealt with with, with a lot of um, discretion, a lot of sensitivity to survivors of gender-based violence. Um, but also, as a society, I feel it is something that needs to be addressed very, very um, in a very headstrong way and very decisively. Let's let's define gender-based violence. Certainly. So, gender-based violence is a very very broad category of of various violences, all having a gender-based bias, um, usually flowing from inequalities in in gender roles. Uh, to give you an idea of some of the various types of gender-based violence is obviously the obvious one, uh, which has been very, very prominent in the media in recent months, is violence against women and girls. But in addition to that, one one also faces uh, aspects such as violence against LGBTQI people, um, intimate partner violence, uh, domestic violence, which very often uh, has an aspect of intimate partner violence, uh, sexual violence, and uh, then also indirect or structural violence, which really affects the society at large. So this definition is quite broad, and it's very sad that at most times when we talk about gender-based violence, we we only refer to it in the sense of uh, men um, doing certain crimes towards females. But we never really look at the LGBTQI community. And there as well, there's been a lot of uh, stories of, of corrective rapes and the likes. Why is this that the law is never putting in the forefront the entire spectrum of gender-based violence? Well, I think the, uh, it would be very, very difficult to give one definitive answer. However, Patricia, if one considers the, the international position, and not just in South Africa, I think it is because very sadly the overwhelming, and it really is an overwhelming figure, um, the majority of gender-based violence is unfortunately uh, centered around violence against women and girls. Um, you know, for example, in a multinational study conducted by the World Health Organization, in in some countries there, there is an incidence of 62% of women that have been in a relationship have experienced physical violence at some point in time. That, that's far more than half. 
And that really is unfortunately a staggering figure. I think in the South African context, um, unfortunately, the discourse uh, tends to flow in terms of this one aspect and, and be fairly exclusive towards towards other aspects. But I think it is certainly uh, simply because it is such an overwhelming majority that really is constituted of violence against women and girls. As, um, late night conversation as we are talking uh, gender-based violence and the law. We have put up a poll on our... Um, on our page and we're asking you if the South African law is it sensitive when it comes to gender-based violence I'd like you to please go to Twitter and just uh, vote on our poll at SFM radio and if you want to make a comment please do also use the hashtag SFM LNC do you think that our law is sensitive enough when it comes to gender-based violence or do you feel that it is bias how do you feel about the way things are executed when it comes to gender-based violence I 18 guest is Mervyn Fulmulen, who is a practicing attorney and also the owner um, of uh, Mervyn, of Fulmulen Attorneys. He's also a certified family mediator, so it's very great to have him um, with us today. The number that you can dial to be in touch with us is 011-714-4045, or you can dial 891 WhatsApp number 614 or you can also SMS us on 41391. Really would love to hear from you. Late Night Conversations. Remember that we are on 104 to 107 nationwide and on DSTV channel 814. This is Late Night Conversations with me, Patricia Antuli. We've got the A-team guest here who is Mervyn Fermulen, and we're talking about the law and gender-based violence. A-teamers, you are more than welcome to send those WhatsApps on 0614-104-107. Please also send SMSs to 41391. We've put up a poll on Twitter at SAFM Radio at Patricia N. Nduli asking you, do you think that the South African uh, legal system is sensitive when it comes to dealing with uh, the issue of gender-based violence? On that note, I got a message here from an A-teamer who has remained anonymous. And the A-teamer says, and what about the destructive verbal slash emotional slash psychological violence against males by females who scream insults and profanities even at gentle-hearted males to belittle them. Mervyn, this is a question. Sure. It's a a very, very interesting um, point that that your listener raises, and I think it's one that, that one sees quite a lot in practice. Now, the statistics that have been released show an absolute overwhelming bias that females are usually the victims of gender-based violence. However, uh, in my experience, I have seen numerous cases where um, men have been at the receiving end of horrific domestic violence. And fortunately, the legislative framework in terms of the the Domestic Violence Act specifically grants the same protection towards uh, males and females. The gender of the complainant under the Domestic Violence Act is absolutely irrelevant. So fortunately for society as a whole, we we have this very, very um, far-reaching legal framework for protection and luckily that protection uh, is there for males and females. 
So there is protection for everyone, but obviously, I think I'd love to hear from uh, the A-team males if they've had mm. an experience that was was palatable when they were going to report such cases. Because the first point of call to report a case of such a nature, uh, gender-based violence, whether it's a man, a woman, or someone from the LGBTQI community, is to go to the mm. police stations. And I'd like to know what their experience has been. Because mm. the question is, are we legally um, sensitive enough? And maybe you could answer that for me, uh, Mervyn. Is our legal system from the bottom all the way to the top sensitive enough when it comes to GBV? I think it's, uh, that's unfortunately a very, very subjective uh, question. I'll tell you why. Um, we have various very good policies which have been enacted by by Parliament. One which I know we'll chat about a little bit later is the, the amendments to the Prescription Act that have been brought about um, that have just gone through the, uh, the uh, National Assembly and will be going to the National Council of Provinces. Similarly, we have a very, very robust legal framework in terms of the Domestic Violence Act and the Harassment Act or the Protection from Harassment Act. Unfortunately, legislation and law is only as good as the manner in which it is carried out and affected by those institutions that are meant to actually grant that protection. And in terms specifically of domestic violence, um, certainly the two big role players are the police and the magistrates' courts. And why I say that the question is fairly subjective is because I've seen Magistrates' courts who, who deal with these types of matters very, very efficiently, very fairly, very equitably. And one would travel not even 20 kilometers to an adjoining magistrate's court and see the exact opposite. So there is unfortunately um, an inculcated, in my view at least, um, disparity of the type of relief that a person will get at magistrate's court A versus magistrate's court B based on something as arbitrary as where the person is domiciled or where they reside. So unfortunately, that is a big problem that we are faced with with in practice is the manner in which the courts actually enforce the Domestic Violence Act. On on the on those levels, the magistrate court and also the the, the police stations level, do you feel that we should be getting some sort of skills uh, training around gender-based violence, the sensitivity, so that these particular cases don't end up as a he said, she said story or a case where um, things are not documented correctly and insensitive approach to uh, victims who come into such uh, places of uh, the law? Absolutely. Um, without any doubt. Um, in fact, that is one of the guiding principles that the World Health Organization has suggested for fighting gender-based violence uh, internationally and not simply in, in the South African stage. I think in the South African context, it's very, very pronounced. Um, we are unfortunately um, living in a very, very desensitized society where survivors of uh, gender-based violence do often, and it's very unfortunate, suffer secondary victimization at the hands of those entities that are supposed to protect them. But 
to get back to your question, certainly I think um, awareness, um, sensitivity training, and also teaching the community as a whole are, are some of the key factors in actually overcoming gender-based violence in the long term. Let's go to the law now. I'd like you to please take us through the Domestic Violence Act and what it currently says and how can we get legal uh, assistance as people who might be victimized? Fantastic. How much time have you got? Lots. I hope so. <laughs> um, the Domestic Violence Act is, is, is funnily enough, a fairly short act and, and it's very, very encompassing as short as it is. And I think the... The starting point in looking at the Domestic Violence Act is, you know, the big question of what is domestic violence. Once one has established that, we need to look at who qualifies for protection under the Domestic Violence Act. Uh, I think I'll I'll go through them in that order. And then finally, let's look at the the process uh, to get relief under the the Domestic Violence Act. Um, Firstly, Let's answer the question, what is domestic violence? Now, unfortunately, there is in society as a whole a very big misconception that domestic violence is physical abuse. It's much more than that. It's much broader than that. And there's a whole big list, um, including a a catch-all in the Domestic Violence Act for what constitutes domestic violence. And I'll I'll read out the list to you, and if you'd like to hone in on a specific aspect, you're welcome to stop me and we can do so. Firstly is the obvious, physical abuse. Secondly, sexual abuse. Thirdly, emotional, verbal, and psychological abuse. Then economic abuse, intimidation, harassment, stalking, damage to property, then further entry into a complainant's residence without consent if the parties do not share the same residence. And the last one, which is a a big catch-all, is any other controlling or abusive behavior towards a complainant. All of these factors or any one of these factors could constitute domestic violence. Sure. So anyone who just barges into my place of abode without my um, permission, that's violence. Well, that takes us to to the second um, big aspect in terms of the Domestic Violence Act. To get relief in terms of the Domestic Violence Act against a person, one must prove that there is a domestic relationship between them. Now, a domestic relationship, once again, has a couple of definitions. I'll very briefly run through them. The first is, for example, if parties were married to each other, including any customary marriage whatsoever, so marriage in the broadest sense. Um, Secondly, if they live or lived a past tense together in a relationship in the nature of marriage, a permanent cohabitation relationship, for example, if the parties have a child together, if they are family members, if they were engaged, dating, or in a customary relationship, or the last one, which is very broad, they shared or recently shared the same residence. So, for example, um, in, in your question, anyone barges in, if that person used to be or is a spouse uh, in a relationship, 
has a child with you or recently shared your same residence, then certainly it would fall within the frameworks of the Domestic Violence Act. If that is not the case, then there is still protection under another uh, set of legislation called the Protection from Harassment Act, which is very similar to the Domestic Violence Act, but has a little bit of a different flavor to it. I'd like us to go to uh, the comments that the A-teamers are making, and I'm going to start off on um, my uh, WhatsApp here. And um, A-teamer, who remains anonymous, says, unfortunately, these men get laughed at for not being man enough to stand up to such Mm -hmm. females. So one's option is to just sink into depression. This is very sad. This is really sad. Um, let's uh, and then let, when I go into um, the SMS line, anonymous as well says, uh, "Good evening. Gender-based violence is not taken seriously due to the legal system that favours the perpetrators. Mm. Imagine the cerebral palsy uh, victim that has to be traumatised to give evidence, even if the test can prove the identity of the perpetrator. To add mm. market." To add, marketing of sexual pleasures and adultery, while we know that these violence is um, committed by 95% of males. It, it, it's, it's just commenting on these two. It's very sad mm. to see the, the, the experiences of South Africans um, when it comes to the justice system. Uh, Mervyn, before I let you comment, I'm going to go to another WhatsApp here. And this is from sure. Paula. Paula says, hi, Patricia. And uh, a friend of mine went to the police station to report the matter when he was abused by his wife. They found it mm. extremely amusing. He eventually walked away. She hit him to the floor while he was in the shower. This, this, this is, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine yeah. a, a, um, a society that would laugh and I'm t- I'm, when I'm talking about mm. the society I'm talking about the legal society now that would yes. laugh at a victim because he's a man this is definitely not right yeah absolutely absolutely that that just goes exactly to, to the point that I made earlier you know a, a law or a framework of rules is only as good as those who implement it um, unfortunately that is a very very sad indictment uh, towards those specific uh, police uh, members who, who perpetrated that. In terms of relief, um, something that many people aren't aware, which I would like to share with your listeners, is if a person is a victim of domestic violence and they go to the police and they are not assisted, that is not the end of the road. What they can do is to approach their local magistrate's court and to apply for a domestic violence interdict through the magistrate's court. The good news when going through that process is there is a much more stringent oversight and there are also mechanisms built into the Act to try to protect Uh, victims of domestic violence. In certain circumstances, a person can even approach the domestic violence court on another person's behalf. For example, if the victim is a minor child or the victim is bedridden or even in cases uh, which are horrendous, but unfortunately this happens, where the victim is locked up in their house 
and the perpetrator is not allowing them to, to go out. In those cases, the complainant or whomever does so on their behalf can approach the magistrate's court and apply for domestic violence interdict um, by filling in a form where they set out all the facts. If they have, for example, if it was physical violence, if they have photos of their injuries or a, a medical legal J88 form, they can attach it. And that is then considered by a magistrate in chambers. Usually, most courts treat this as, as very, very urgent. And within a day or two, they will most probably get some sort of response from the court whether they received an interdict, um, a protection order against this person or not. I'm glad that you have uh, given us this option that is available, that if you don't get assistance from uh, mm. your local police station, um, then mm. you can go to the courts. But now, wh- what do you then, what do we as citizens do to the police officers who are law enforcement officers who do such things, who, who yeah. laugh and find amusement when people walk in and report domestic violence, whether it's from the LGBTQI community, whether mm. it's from a man or even from a woman. If, if a police officer says to you, no, um, go sort your things out back at home. Your husband can't rape you. We've heard of such stories. So what do we do yeah. to that police officer? What does the law say about them? Absolutely. Look, so a police officer that says something like that in the line of duty um, is, is obviously out of line and will fall subject to um, probably disciplinary proceedings, etc., etc. The difficulty is, unfortunately, uh, and this is where the flaws in the system come in, and unfortunately, I don't have the answers necessarily to, to overcome that. But if it is, let's say, just after midnight on a Friday evening, and you are at your local police station and they actually refuse to help you. Um, that is where the biggest problem comes in. And that is where I see the vast majority of secondary victimization taking place uh, against men and women, uh, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of race. Uh, we see a lot of that secondary victimization. The best that someone can do in such a situation is try to find a safe place where they can go with a friend or a trusted family member until such a time as they can go to court the next morning. The one thing that I have um, realized in, in a number of years of practice and seeing how these things unfold is to not confront the relevant SAPS members at that time because that very frequently, unfortunately, leads to to potential secondary victimization. Uh, But keep a full record of exactly what transpired. Try to get the identity um, of the, the persons involved and see an attorney as soon as possible take it further. I think that's what we need to start doing as South Africans. We shouldn't be uh, brushing law enforcement officers' wrongdoings under the carpet. We should mm. actually be standing up and, and uh, bring them to book so that we can find ourselves um, having um, up, upright or um, you know authentic police uh, enforce, mm. um, law enforcement officers. SAFM Late Night Conversations, we are speaking 
the law and gender-based violence, and we've obviously expanded it. It's not only uh, males against females or violence against females. It's mm-hmm. against everyone. That's what the law says. And uh, we'd love to hear from you, uh, Late Night Conversation uh, A-Team. Mm-hmm. The number to dial is 891 You can also WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. Now, Mervyn, I want us to go here mm-hmm. um, on Twitter. Uh, at Dr. Smintlo. Dr. Smintlo says, without fully equipped specialized courts, women and children will never get justice. Is this the case? Are our courts not fully equipped? Sure. <laughs> that is a, a very, very tough question to ask an attorney, but um, if you insist, I will give you my my view and I will give you my view at length. I think in terms of the legislation, if one considers, for example, the Domestic Violence Act, the legislation tries very hard to create a good and a safe and a proper framework for these matters to take place. Some of the the provisions, if I can just talk about the Act and then the way that it's interpreted, and I promise you I will get to answering your question. Um, The Act is worded in such a way to try and create some sort of safety and stability. Uh, For example, just a few examples of protections in the Act. You know, for children, there can be provision made in court for them to not be cross-examined directly. Um, there is provision for a complainant to bring in a person or up to two people, if my memory serves, for moral support um, during one of these hearings. Um, there are protections in place for the manner in which the proceedings are conducted, specifically the the proceedings in the domestic violence court are conducted in camera. Um, And what that means is that it's closed to the public. It's usually a small courtroom with the magistrate, a clerk of the court, which usually in most courts is a a warrant officer serving at at the court and a stenographer and it is closed into the public. So the Act, I think, tries very, very hard to to create this framework. One of the other things which I am particularly excited about as a, a family law attorney is there, there has been some banter in the last month or two, although we haven't seen, or at least I haven't seen anything in writing, that they will in due course and hopefully sooner rather than later be mechanisms to apply for a protection order online, uh, digitally. Um, but I, I'm not going to get too excited before I actually see the legislation or regulation. So I think the Act tries very hard. I think Parliament and even the executive branch are trying to, to do something about it. The difficulty, once again, comes in to my point earlier, where a set of rules is only as good as those who interpret them. Most magistrates' courts do a rotation schedule of magistrates, and unfortunately, in in some magistrates' courts, it becomes the luck of the draw. If I can give you an example um, of a matter that I dealt with uh, fairly recently, um, where... 
two parties approached the magistrate's court based on the same incident. Um, these parties were in a domestic relationship. Same incident, same facts. One party got an interim protection order, the other party did not. Um, based on competing views of the same incident. And what turned that matter was that a particular magistrate considered the one application and another magistrate considered the other application. So would we be best served with a specialized court in South Africa? Absolutely. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. However, does the framework in the South African justice system allow for it? Do we have the resources to do that? Well, that's debatable, but at present, unfortunately, we do not have that framework. Well, I think with that being said, it's good to know that uh, there are some interventions, but it would be better, especially with the rise of uh, gender-based violence in our country, it would be better to know that there's implementation when it comes to such. And it's not just us talking shop, but it's us actually seeing action from the top to the bottom. Um, Late night conversation on SAFM, the number to dial is uh, 0891-104-207. We're talking the law and gender-based violence with a Mervyn and on the line, I've got Atima Vern, uh, Veron, who's in Durban. Veron, a very good evening to you. Hi, Vern. Uh, uh, may I must pass you on the, one small conversation that you sound like Pabi Molay. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't know why, but you sound like her. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know whether it's a compliment or... <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, Veron. <laughs> right. Uh, the gender violence. At, uh, at one time, I was guilty of that, but uh, the reason why I'm saying this is uh, this one woman, uh, she came up to me and she was uh, giving me a story, but uh, I'm telling you, you're not my wife, don't tell me this. But she started telling me, right? And then, uh, you know what, automatically, I don't know, but this was back in the day, 1992 or something like that, and then I gave and I felt so lonely about it. I sat in my car, I went to the police station, and I told them, you know what, sorry, this is what I did earlier. And I paid a fine, 500 fine for admission. It seems like Veron's uh, line dropped, but his story is quite interesting. We'll try and get Benzito to get him on the line. Um, There's a man who committed an offence, admitted to committing an offence, and and took himself to the police station and paid an admission of uh, guilt fine. Is that how it works even in this day and age, um, Mervyn? Not necessarily, no. Um, we, We have to consider two different branches of the law. Now, what uh, Veron mentioned now is is in terms of criminal law, where um, a crime has been committed and the state then imposes uh, a penalty to even the scales. The, the difficulty when considering it solely from a criminal law point of view is what is the effect on the complainant? There is very little focus on the victim when one considers it from a purely criminal law uh, point of view, and that's where the Domestic Violence Act comes in. 
Um, now, we spoke earlier about who can apply for a domestic violence interdict, and we spoke about what constitutes domestic violence. Um, if I may be so bold, I'd like to kind of go into telling you what can happen if you apply for a domestic violence interdict. And that, I think, is really much more complainant and uh, victim, or I prefer to use the word survivor-focused when it comes to gender-based violence and domestic violence. And what happens is, if this person who is a victim of domestic violence approaches the domestic violence court, they fill in an application form and an affidavit, which goes in and is considered by a magistrate, usually in chambers. In other words, not an open court. The magistrate sits at the desk and reads through the papers. If the magistrate is of the view that there was domestic violence, any of those factors which we discussed earlier, they are duty-bound to then issue what's known as an interim protection order. Now, that interim protection order is a civil court order which says to the um, perpetrator of the domestic violence that they are interdicted from committing any acts of domestic violence, and usually the order will say what acts they're not allowed to commit. That goes together with a warrant. Um, Once again, here the police get involved. If the offender then once again commits an act of domestic violence without any further ado, the police are duty-bound in terms of a warrant of arrest to arrest them. Once that interim protection order has been granted, it must be delivered to the um, to the perpetrator by the police usually. It's done at state expense through the police. And they are given a, a future date to come and tell their story. If on that future date the court finds that, yes, there was domestic violence, the interim protection order will be made final, and that um, survivor of the domestic violence, the complainant, will then have long-lasting perpetual protection in terms of the act. If the court finds that there wasn't domestic violence, the interim protection order will be set aside. That is, in terms of the civil law, the the victim-focused or the complainant-focused aspect of the law to try and get some sort of protection to a complainant rather than someone is guilty of a crime, goes to a police station, pays a fine, and everyone has, and I say this respectfully, forgotten about the victim. Hmm. All right, let's go to a voice note here from our A-teamer. When coming to gender-based violence, especially when coming to our police stations, I think the state must try to uh, train police officers uh, on how to deal with issues such as gender-based violence, so that uh, they treat uh, victims of crime uh, of crime who have been abused in a good way, so that they feel uh, at home when they arrive at police stations, rather than feeling lonely because sometimes normal officers ask the people what were you wearing when you were uh, uh, abused so such uh, questions they normally irritate uh, the victims so our government need to work uh, regularly on the matter and try to train uh, people who will be handling such problems i totally concur and agree with this uh, a teamer now 
we asked on um, Twitter, we put up a poll and we asked, is our legal system sensitive when dealing with gender-based violence? And currently where we sit, and we'll see it before the news, uh, if numbers will change, 56.7% say no, 10% say yes, and 33.3% say the law is not always just. Coupled with what we have just heard from our A-teamer via voice note, it is very clear that we are not sitting at a very cozy place where we can feel comfortable with the law. And uh, Mervyn, mm. I, I, I know from your side as, as, as um, mm. an attorney, you take uh, matters at a higher level when it comes to gender-based violence. However, mm. before they get to you, they, they start at the grassroots, which is the police officers. And, yes. and that, that's the first encounter that most of us have with the law. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the unfortunate um, reality that one is faced with. Um, and I must concur with your, your listener who sent the voice note. I think um, some sort of sensitivity training is, is desperately needed um, in the police force or in the police service at least. Um, and I think that sensitivity training should be enforced and what I mean by that is as you pointed out Patricia earlier I think the time of not keeping the police to account must come to an end Um, if people have negative um, experiences they must insist that action is taken and obviously it's very difficult to do as i mentioned at half past 12 and on a saturday morning you know when it's it's dark out and 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 but if people do at that stage get a full written record as soon as they get home or on their cell phones or however they can and they communicate that through the right channels and start keeping the police accountable i think that's already a step in the right direction. We've got uh, Veron in Durban back on the line. Veron, uh, thank you very much for coming back. Hi, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, when we talk about gender-based violence, uh, now GBV, before GBV was, uh, was known as uh, what grievous bodily harm. Now we're doing all this. Now. But the funny thing is, uh, uh, me, I'm talking about a men part of it. Don't think uh, it's always uh, that uh, that the men uh, do this thing uh, because see sometimes you get provoking. Now one time I came home, I was drunk, and I admit that, and I told him, please don't talk to me now, talk to me tomorrow morning. But she was hearing nothing, and as I was walking up to my bedroom, and she was kept on provoking me, talking me. Thing. Now what did I do? I went to my room, I broke everything I could see in my life. TV, the work, the whole room was in shots. The next day, somebody came to see me. What do you think this thing is right? I told, would you have liked me to hit her? How I hit all the things here? He closed the door and he walked away. Nothing in else. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much, Veron. And uh, after your experience in uh, 1992, I think you said from the first call where you actually slapped a female, now you have found an outlet of breaking things. Still not good, but I think, you know, as a site, we are all 
on the edge, but we need to know how to curtail our anger because it could lead mm. to danger. Whether you are breaking objects or you are breaking bones, you are breaking something and that could lead to danger. Let's go to voice notes. Yes, uh, good evening, people of the South. Uh, you're correct, Madam. You do need to say uh, that uh, we need to redugate really this. Uh, I've got this scenario where you'll find out that uh, as a mega being accused of uh, uh, GBV. But now uh, my partner takes that protection order to a place where I work, accompanied by the police. And at the time, for instance, I'm an educator. And then but that particular delivery takes place at a school. Uh, is that contact correct? Is the conduct correct? Because I think that they should wait until at least I am at home. One other thing is that uh, as a maid, when I try an open uh, GBV case against my spouse, I'm always sidelined because uh, mostly they are women and they are students. They do not agree or accede to what I'm saying. I'm say as a, a witness or even a victim to that. So how do we deal with such things? Thank you. I'm from the Free State. Uh- well, from the Free State, the question there, Mervyn, is, uh, is it okay for someone to serve you those protection order uh, um, papers or, or anything around uh, gender-based violence at work? Look, I think... Unfortunately, it, it is a very, very big embarrassment to any person receiving that sort of thing at their workplace. Um, the legal framework, all that I can tell you, is that the the act is very, very, um, very short on on actually how uh, documents need to be served. And if you'll just bear with me, I'll go to the relevant section, and uh, it, it simply says that it must be served on a respondent. It doesn't say where or when. No, uh, service of any document in terms of the act must be effected in a prescribed manner by the clerk of the court, the sheriff, or a peace officer. Um, and that really is, is the long and the short of it. So whether it is morally correct, um, I simply can't say. But the legal framework does make provision for it to be served on a respondent wherever they can be found. In Newcastle, Linda says uh, gender-based violence will only be solved once we discuss the elephant in the room. Like for one, the question of whether Western culture and African culture can coexist to the role of system we live in regarding societal norms and how we we are brought up. Three, the role of the music industry in encouraging the lifestyle to the youth. He then further says, my sister was killed in 1995 and to date, we don't know whether anyone was arrested and served time for that crime. Until we empower young girls to know that they are not owned to showcase mentors to them. That is Linda. And uh, then uh, we've got a voice note as well. But before the voice note, Sure. Uh, someone says, Patricia, what do you do when there is no warrant of arrest and the police arrest you? This is from Sunday Lane, Pinetown. Sure. That would depend on the reasons for the, the arrest. So the Domestic Violence Act specifically um, makes provision for um, arrests 
um, with or without a warrant. So a person can be arrested without a warrant um, in terms of such circumstances where they, for example, catch someone in the act of, of domestic violence. However, you know, whether the police have arrested legally or, or illegally in terms of the act is really something that will come down to the circumstances of each case. Now, obviously, if someone is arrested unlawfully and there's no proper reason, step number one is to try and get an attorney as soon as possible and get them out of police custody, apply for bail. Um, if the state does prosecute um, and they prosecute successfully, obviously the arrest was then not unwarranted necessarily. But if the state, for example, issues a nollet prosecui, which means they will not prosecute or it's withdrawn at the last minute, then the person who was arrested could consider following a remedy for unlawful arrest. All right. Oh, we only have a minute left, but I, I'd like to go through a couple of uh, the messages from our A-teamers. So this sure. A-teamer on SMS says, a friend of mine is being stalked by a woman. She made my friend leave town. She tracked him down and sure. to where she shifted and is still stalking him. Unfortunately, he's very shy to go to the police because they would naturally laugh at him. The woman has mm-hmm. a very jealous husband and she is not stopping her case in stalking my buddy. What mm-hmm. can my buddy do? And if you can be quick about the response as well. Absolutely. Approach the magistrates fought in terms of the Protection from Harassment Act. They can assist with an interdict. Mervyn, we need to bid you farewell. There's still so many voice notes and I can't even go through them. But <laughs> please give us contact details of where people can get legal advice around gender-based violence and other issues that you deal with at Mervyn Attorneys, for Merlin Attorneys. Absolutely. They are welcome to... Contact us on 010-109-1089. We're based in Johannesburg and Pretoria, or they can go and have a look at our website, familianlaw.co.za. Patricia, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure chatting to you. And you see, I wasn't lying when I asked you how much time have you got. <laughs> thank you so very much. We appreciate your time. Wonderful. Thanks, Patricia. Let me go to the poll before I uh, hand over to the beautiful Zolega Kodashe. We asked you, is our legal system sensitive when dealing with gender-based violence? Well, 59.4% currently say no, 9.4% say yes, and 31.3% says the law is not always just. This needs to be re-looked at. Zolega Kodashe, give us this beautiful voice and the news update, please.